Hi, I'm Ian Laurie, and this is who I am. I guess today's comic book artist of And Then Emily Was Gone, Quilt, Love is Love, and The Edge of Ian Laurie. Hi, Ian. Hi, Jamie. How are you doing? We Welcome. finally meet. I know, right? Social media and interaction. Yes. Yeah, I think there's, uh, I, I can't remember where I saw it, but there was some, uh, that, that when you're at the age of 35 and, and above, you should have... Um, that meme that's going around, someone said that at the age of 35, you should have two people that you know in real life and 300 people that you know on the internet. And uh, it certainly seems to be that ratio for me at the moment. <laughs> There's so many people I know. Yeah, if I can count my girlfriend as one of the two, then I'm okay. But, um, <laughs> well, but yeah, honestly, uh, I'm never such a It's terrible. Yeah. So uh, you were born in Scotland and mm-hmm. lived in Scotland. Have you lived there all your life or have you moved around? Yeah, I have, yeah. Yeah. Um, Initially in the kind of west coast, sort of further down from Glasgow, and mm-hmm. then I moved to Edinburgh about 1992, uh-huh. uh, just as a sort of temporary thing, and never left really. So I do really love it up here, so mm. never left. Is there a big difference between the two cities? Um, I would say Glasgow's a lot more vibrant, a lot more exciting, mm-hmm. a lot more stuff going on, but also a lot more chances to get a kick in. Okay? <laughs> True. Whereas Edinburgh is a wee bit snooty. Um, arty, but you know a bit aloof, but a lot, a lot safer. I mm-hmm. find. Do you know what I mean? I don't. If I'm at night, if I'm out at night in Edinburgh, I'm never like you know what could happen. Whereas in Glasgow, I know what will happen. Somebody yeah. will start. Somebody <laughs> will catch my eye, and just you know, it's always away. Yeah. Uh, what did what were you doing over in um, the Glasgow side? Were you in college or were you? Yeah. Well, I went. To, I grew up in Ayrshire, which is in the west coast of Scotland, mm-hmm. and then. I hated it so badly that I just took any course I could. I, initially, I wanted to work in film, mm-hmm. and I applied for a, applied for a course in Newcastle uh, to do film. And uh, rightly, they said you have absolutely no qualifications to be doing this course. We suggest you do a kind of in between course. So I applied everywhere I could at the last minute, and I ended up in a place called Hamilton, just outside uh, Glasgow. Just prior to that, I had been at college in Kilmarnock. Uh, which is quite near Glasgow as well, and that's where I met Fraser. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Fraser went off to be in a band and whatever he wanted to do. And I realised I can't live in Ayrshire any longer, so I took on. I went to this course in Hamilton, which was a pretty standard communications course. One of those things that are just basically just people killing time before they have to get a real job or something like that. So mm-hmm. it wasn't particularly beneficial, but I had a lot of good times and I met a lot of friends from it. So it was that. <laughs> that's mm. the upside of it, I think. Yeah, I didn't realise you knew Fraser for so long. Yeah, I mean, Fraser is my oldest friend. Uh, we have known, we met each other when I was about, was I about 18 or something like that? Uh-huh. And uh, he was the first person I ever met who read comics. The first <laughs> person I ever met at 18. That shows you how culturally advanced it is down there. Um, but yeah, there was one day, I think, uh, was he reading The Dark Knight Returns or something like that? And I mm-hmm. said, oh my God, a, a man that reads comics. You know, I must befriend him immediately. And uh, we just really hit it off. Very similar senses of humour, very similar tastes back then anyway, and kind of changed a bit. But we both liked, we both grew up in that kind of mm-hmm. loving sort of Dennis Potter and the Avengers and 
things like that. So there was definitely that connection. So, uh, so yeah, I've known him God, 20, 27 years. Scary. But yeah, we go back. Mm. And uh, you, so you were reading comics, but um, I don't know uh, if it was the same for you, but for, for me growing up in, I mean, I was, I was a dirty southerner down in London and uh, mm-hmm. there was that, it was such a uh, uh, underground thing, not in the, in, the, in the cool way, not in the like the passing around secret pamphlets kind of way, but in the, you didn't want people to know that you read comics because they, oh, were, yeah. they were afraid. Oh yeah, when I grew up, and we, you're roughly the same age as me, yeah, I'm 46. Uh-huh. You're right, so, so it was like something that could get you beat up. Yeah. It really was. Um, <laughs> it was, and it really was, especially where I grew up. Um, that your options were either football, a uh, glue sniffing, or just breaking into places and causing trouble. And I didn't. I, I got into football later. Mm-hmm. At the time, I just had no interest in it. So um, when I was really young, my dad used to bring me sort of kids' comics and stuff like that. And then one day he didn't pick up. Wizard and Chips or something, and he picked up Marvel Rampage instead, which mm-hmm. was an old you know, Marvel reprint comic. And Because he, he knew I liked Batman from the TV show and stuff like that, so he thought, oh, superheroes, it must be that. And uh, he brought me that, and that was it for me. That was about five or six years old I was, and that was it. I'm just absolutely fascinated by that world. And yeah. uh, never really let me go, to be honest. Yeah. There was, uh, I, 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 I know a couple of people have asked me before what the first comic I got was, and because of the reprint stuff, I, I can never narrow it down. I remember getting like Rampage, and um, there was another, uh, Mighty World of Marvel was the other reprint. Mm, yeah, I remember that one, yeah. Mm. So I, I, people say, oh, what was your first like X-Men book? And I'm like, I don't know, it was, some, it was one of them. It was like an annual that had a story in there somewhere, I don't know. Um, do you, did you... Did you uh, did you like reading the the more the stuff like Wizard and Chips and the the Beano and the Dandy and stuff that was coming out and? Oh. Uh, well, what I'll tell you what I did like. Um, I never really responded to them that much. They were a thing that you did as a kid. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? They were about. But um, I really loved. Uh, do you know Ken Reed? Mm-hmm. Right. So Ken Reed stuff like Face Ache and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. That really really grabbed me, and I remember. My first initial attempts to draw were always copying Ken Reed. And there was another artist called Trevor Metcalf. And he did this comic strip called Birdman and Chicken. I don't uh-huh. know if you remember that. But I remember copying his stuff as well. And Leo Baxendale as well, who's the kind of quite famous of that. So I remember learning to draw copying their stuff. Mm-hmm. But I was never hugely that interested in the kind of one-page sort of joke thing. Uh, it was only uh, it was only when I read the superheroes that I finally thought, yeah, I, I like this stuff. I'm really interested in this. So, mm. uh, and I never. And the thing was, liking that, like the Marvel reprints and the occasional American comic, I seem to have missed the whole 2000 AD battle action hotspur thing completely. Because mm-hmm. um, Fraser's always getting on to me about this, but I, I, I don't. My British comics thing kind of, you know, it never really grabbed me that much. Yeah, uh, I have got my theories why, but. Um, but it never grabbed me the same way it did a lot of people my age and stuff like that. So, so mm. yeah, so I've missed all that really. Yeah, it's I don't know if it's um, uh, what about Viz? Did that were you was, was that love around? Viz? Yeah, yeah, love Viz. Um, I remember, I think uh, I don't know what age I was, but I I was in Glasgow and it was a time when where I lived. Going to Glasgow was quite an event. It was before there was a train that went from there. You know, now it's like half an hour on the bus, but back then it was quite a thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember going to Glasgow and just buying anything I could, comic-wise. And I picked up Viz randomly, 
and it just blew me away because I've never been a big fan of kind of funny comics. Do you know what I mean? I've never, you know, TV makes me laugh or, you know, but comics never so much, but this just killed me. Do you know what I mean? And uh, I actually applied to the visit one point. Oh, really? <laughs> um, what, what happened? When, when did you apply? Oh, God, I was in my ugh, late, maybe late 20s. And I wrote, uh, I wrote and drew a pistic of Mrs. Doubtfire called Mrs. Shitefire. So that shows you the level of the complexity of the humour involved. And it was basically about a sort of guy that comes home drunk and his wife throws him out because he's rubbish. And he's walking past a poster for someone from Mrs. Doubtfire and thinks, I can do that as well. So he breaks into a shop, steals loads of women's clothes, turns up at the house drunk, attempts to go through the motions of the film, but ends up collapsing and pissing himself. <laughs> and the punchline was, one of the kids saying, you're a shite dad. <laughs> and uh, Viz uh, rejected it. They said it wasn't quite what they were looking for, which, having read Viz, baffled me. Yeah, that, nonetheless. that sounds exactly <laughs> like what they were looking for. That's a... mm. <laughs> so were you creating your own stuff? Were you creating your own stuff back then as well, or was that just something that, that grabbed you? You thought, oh, I could, I could do that. Or I've always, I've always been doing my own stuff at some point. Do you know what I mean? When I was wee, I used to do comics. My wee brother, mm-hmm. kind of seeing him, and then I was always doing most of the. I think when I got to a certain age, I've always been very realistic about my drawing and how I draw and stuff. And I've, I realised at a certain age, I thought I've not got the thing to be Alan Davis or, you know, somebody like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, I still like drawing, but is there any place for me in comics? And then I thought, well, I can sort of draw in that kind of biz style. Could I maybe try that? But ultimately, no, <laughs> was the answer <laughs> to that. So, but yeah, I've always been drawing. And even in between times, I wasn't making comics. I was always drawing, like, cards for people's leaving presents and things like that. So I was always the guy that draws, even when I wasn't doing comics so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. Um, did you, I mean, you said that the 2000 AD thing passed you by, but what about crisis and deadline and things like that that, that came later? Uh, deadline, yes. Crisis, no. Uh, I did see deadline um, only because I, I think deadline came out at that time when I was really getting into music mm-hmm. and I was at college and stuff like that. So it was the kind of, it was, I, I, I had it in my head, I linked it with things like Doom Patrol and you know, the Vertigo comics and stuff like that, which was the kind of cool kids comics. Mm. You know what I mean? So I definitely read uh, quite a bit of Deadline. Uh, I remember really liking Nick Abad's stuff. And I liked the look of Jamie Hewlett stuff, but mm-hmm. I, I never really liked the stories that much, but I always liked visually what he did and stuff like that. So, right. so yeah, but I think Nick Abad's stuff, like Hugo Tate and all that, I really enjoyed it. Then. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Did, did seeing that stuff make you think, actually, I can... I can do more traditional comic style stuff, or kinda in this in a sort of roundabout way because um, I think was it maybe Fraser? I'm not sure, but somebody gave me some Dan Klaus stuff, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I think it what must have been Eight Ball at that time, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was Eight Ball, yeah. and Pete Bag stuff and a couple of things like that. And I thought, okay, um, because it was always that kind of way of like the way my head worked in terms of drawings. You know, it was like, how can I make comics like that? You know, like the stuff I like, like David Lynch or Nicholas Rogue films and things like that. And then I started to see things like, in fact, I'm wrong. It was a Yummy Fur. I don't know if you've ever read Yummy Fur by Jeffrey Brown. Mm. No, I haven't. Ed the Happy Cloud. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of my friends won that from the NME. 
And he said, uh, here's a comic, do you want to read this? And I thought, so I read it. And uh, sorry, can I swear, by the way? I just swore yeah, there, sorry. you can. Excellent. So I thought, <laughs> what the fuck's this? And uh, I read it and I thought, oh, this is really good. And then I started to look at some other independent comics. And then I realised that, like, it wasn't all, you didn't need to be John Romita Jr. or something like that. You could still make comics and tell stories, mm-hmm. you know, uh, even if you had a slightly different style. But I definitely, it was, I think, a velvet glo- uh, like a Velvet Glove cast in iron by Dan Klaus, which is probably still my favourite comic, mm-hmm. was the real mind for me. And I thought, okay, I think uh, I think I can maybe do something here. Yeah. Do you, uh, because you said that you were you wanted to be a filmmaker before, um, do you think there's a more, like a lot of your work is very atmospheric and it has like a slow, um, it's not rushed, it's not that, that, that um, how to draw comics the Marvel way where everything is in the extreme. There's a lot more breathing room and there's a lot more uh, atmosphere that's built up. And, and do you think that comes from like your mind as, a, as, as being someone that wanted to be a filmmaker or is that just... Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I always say to people that, that I don't really think in comic terms, you know what I mean? I don't, it's always just like, here is a comic version of the film that's playing in my head. Mm-hmm. A wee bit like that. So, so absolutely, in terms of pacing and the type of things I'm interested in, it's definitely been more shaped by my, you know, like seeing Brazil at a young age or uh, Blue Velvet and things like that that just kind of, you know, open my head up a wee bit and mm-hmm. um and I definitely, that definitely has had an impact on my drawing and stuff like that. Absolutely. Um, what do you think? I, there's a, there's a, there's a whole bunch of um, uh, Scottish creators that seem to 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 pop up in like huge chunks, and they all it, it's it's a very uh, like comic storytelling seems to to gel very easily for that part of the world where there's this this combination of visuals and language that, that some people have trouble with and some people kind of start with. What do you think it is about the, that part of the world and, and comics that, that seems to work? I mean, I've read theories about, like, I think uh, the first ever comic shop was in Glasgow, apparently in Britain. Is that oh, one? really? Yeah. <laughs> maybe, I've, maybe I've just made that up. But I, I seem <laughs> to remember reading... Grant Morrison's Super Gods, and I'm sure he said something like that. But yeah. I think uh, with the, I'm not sure. I mean, with the Glasgow scene that I was kind of any part of, I think it was very much the fact of we had seen people do it. So we'd seen Mark Miller and Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly and, uh, you know, and quite a few people become quite big names in comics. So mm-hmm. it didn't seem so unattainable. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know if that was the kind of, the reason for the scene that I was part of, anyway. Um, prior to that, I mean, in terms of the, because there was a big scene that they all came out of as well, you know, in terms of Vinny and Mark Miller and all that came out of. I don't know what inspired them, but I, I, it's a strange one. I, I don't, I, I, I've been asked about it before and I'm not quite sure. I don't really know. Um, I'm sure there's theories, but um, it's a strange one. Is, there is a lot goes on down there, do you know what I mean? There is a down there. I'm here, so I'm saying down there. There's a lot goes on through there <laughs> in Glasgow. So uh, yeah, I, I don't know what causes that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you. Uh, sorry, Ian. It sounds like you're covering your mic on your your thing. Just. All right. Okay. Uh, let me. Is that better? A little bit more air. Though I don't know how you're. Always... There you go. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Is that better? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Sorry, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, hello? The, yeah. Hello. Sorry, I, th- I keep thinking I'm losing you here. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're okay. 
Um, yeah, so the, I mean, like you mentioned that 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 big wave of creators that came, and there was like the, um, you know, it it in uh, in British comics there was always this kind of punk uh, sensibility. Um, they kind of rallied against it, and and um, and then these other creators that came that were more. I don't want to say new romantic, but there was definitely more like uh, like a toned down sense of it. It was like stylish punk that, that kind of came through. Um, what was what was the the musical influences for you at that time? You mentioned um, the, the sort of movies and, and cinema and, and television stuff that was coming through, but was was music a big part of your stuff yeah. creatively as well? Or? Yeah, only in the sense that, like, where I grew up, nobody really was interested in music at all, um, mm. or anything, as you, as you, <laughs> you realise as I go on. But um, I went to college, and I realised music was very much part of your identity and stuff like that, and it was like, well, I want to be this type of person, so I will be into this type of music. Mm-hmm. So I kind of fell in with the sort of guys that were into, like, uh, God, so it'd be more like your kind of Beastie Boys um Nine Inch Nails, kind of things like that. Mm. Um, Faith Moore, I remember, was a big band. Uh, Fishbone was a big band as well. But uh, hip hop was definitely the thing that kind of I really latched onto. Um, and uh, and I, and I definitely, I, mean, I love that, and I, and I do. I, I think that does influence me a wee bit in the sense of like you know stealing things from other places and things like that. So mm-hmm. definitely, yeah, definitely. Hmm. Um. When uh, when you're writing stuff, because you you've done some writing and drawing as well, is is that mm-hmm. something that you is it just do, do you find you do that stuff for you because you have a creative urge, or is there is that where you want to be? You want to be doing your own everything, you know? You want to be a complete self creator and uh, yeah yeah no um, a lot of the stuff of a lot of the ideas I've got that are you know things I've, I've wanted to do for ages. There's something that only I could really write and draw to get to the level I, I want them to be at mm-hmm. um, and then I, I just get sidetracked by just enjoying working with people do you mm-hmm. know what I mean it's like I, I mean like working with John Lees or, or Fraser it's just, it's just good fun really do you know what I mean it's like because I've got a tendency um, to have really weird ideas but I'm not great with structure or characters or actually you know writing or doing the work <laughs> yeah. and it's good to have people no I'm, well the only thing I've ever written completely was um, I've got a friend called Gary Brown. You know, mm-hmm. Gary draws crude for mm-hmm. Image, and he's uh, he's done quite a lot of stuff now. And I went to college with him when I went back as a mature student, and then he went on to the states and he's he's worked. You know, he's, he's done really well over there. And at one point, me and him had this kind of idea about a sort of kind of magic on a council estate mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, it was called Whirston. And uh, Gary loved it, and I wrote a draft in about a night, and he uh, he sent it about to a few places, and I think Vertigo were kind of slightly interested for a while, but uh, they were publishing Pete Milligan's Greek Street at the same time, and mm-hmm. didn't want any kind of crossover and stuff like that. But um, I sent the script to a few people, and everybody I've sent it to has said, you know, you really should have done something with this. You know, it's really good, but I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely in me to write, but it's a, it's a lot of kind of a lot more work for me mm-hmm. to actually sit and write and stuff like that. And I don't know. I sometimes feel I'm a wee bit out of my depth with it in a way that I don't really when I'm drawing and stuff like that. But I definitely would. I mean, Gary and me have been talking about doing something 
stages. And, and one day I would like to write something that he draws because I think when I write, his type of artwork is definitely what I see in my head. You mm. know what I mean? When I'm writing, which is mm-hmm. a different thing from when I'm doing my own stuff and things like that. So. Mm. Yeah. What's your process for, for drawing? What do, do you all digital or analog or how long? All analog. I'm, um, I bet you... I, I, I've, I've had a few slaggings about it. Um, <laughs> uh, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really friendly with, um, uh, with Frank Quietly, with Vin, Vin Deegan. He called me a caveman the last time we were talking because I just knew nothing about it. Oh, really, I'm terrible. Um, I think it's just, I mean, my process is basically uh, a, a blue line on a bit of Bristol board. Mm-hmm. Very loose blue line because I, I get bored. If I really do tight pencils, I get bored when it comes to thinking of it. You know what I mean? So I kind of place everywhere I want it to go in blue line. And then I just think it with a, a fudge pen or a, a pencil brush pen. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> Everybody's uh, always thinking there's some kind of you know amazing process, but it's, it's pretty much just that. I just, I kind of loosely pencil it to try and get the feel of the page. And oh, but before I've done that, obviously, I've, I've thought about it a lot. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like every page of the comic i've just done you know i mean i spent days thinking about it and things i wanted to do and influences i want to have in it and textures and sort of moods and everything like that mm-hmm. so by the time i finally get to draw it i can do a page in about an hour and a half mm. but done a lot of work prior to that of what it's going to be you know what i mean so yeah, uh, so yeah. and then i just scan it uh, and just send it to colorists who make it look Decent, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, I would love to. I would love to to go digital, but yeah. any time I've tried to draw a there's a disconnect. Hmm. Something goes, and I don't know what it is, but there's something goes. I don't know what it, I'm not. I've never quite worked out why. I think maybe I've just done it so long that way. But um, although I would ideally like to to go digital because it's just much cheaper and, and easy to do, but hmm. just always end up drawing it. Always. Yeah. It sounds like you're you're quite uh, quite fast when it, when once you've got past the the thinking stage of it that the actual um, uh, sitting down and, and getting the the pencil and the pen to, to paper is is quite fast for you. So maybe there's like a maybe add in another layer or another um, process to that is just uh, just slows down the the whole thing. Maybe I think as well. I think. I did a I did a comic called and then Emily was gone years ago mm-hmm. and it was the first kind of comic I did that people saw. Yeah. So I was really kind of, oh no, people are going to see this. You know, will it look rubbish? If I don't do it right, will this mean I'll never do any more comics again? So there was a lot of kind of pressure on every page, and I was just trying to get every line right and do all that, and it became quite laborious to the end of it. And uh, I, I just after that I did two comics with John. Uh, and then Emily was gone in quilt, and they were both really hard work because I was thinking in that mindset, mm. and it kind of burned me out a wee bit of comics. And I thought, this is just this is almost like going to my work. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's like it's a job, <laughs> and I'm not I'm not enjoying it. And I'm it's you know, and it was starting to get me down. And then uh, the kind of revelation was I started seeing a lot of Jeff Lemire's work because people mm. had always said, "Oh, you remind me a bit of Jeff Lemire," and I was like, yes. so I went and I read quite a lot of his work, and it just blew me away because. What I realised was, you know, you can look at Jeff Lemire's stuff or Matt Kent's stuff is another one, mm-hmm. and you can think, they're not very good artists, but their stuff's great. And I realised it's the storytelling. It's the what you're doing with it rather than whether it looks like a perfect, you know, anatomically correct drawing or, mm. you know what I mean, something like that. And that was a real revelation to me, this yeah. idea that, like, 
it doesn't need to look like he just says, you know, how to draw the Marvel way. And once that, that came into my head and I was more worried about the storytelling and the ideas I was trying to get across, then everything clicked in and suddenly I could do a page in an hour and a half. Hmm. And I did, last comic, The Edge Off of Fraser, I did roughly about 14 days, whole thing. Wow. Yeah, and that was only because it just kind of, I wasn't sitting, because, you know, John or Fraser will tell you the nightmare I can be, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'll spend all day drawing a page, and then I'll be looking at it and I'll go, I hate that guy's face. I would rip it up and just throw it away, honestly, after a full day's work. In fact, <laughs> there was eight pages of a version of the edge off that was all binned, because I was just in the same mindset of, like, trying to make everything look right and stuff like that and I wasn't enjoying the process at all mm. and then when I chucked all that out I just thought right just get your ideas down the page doesn't matter if that guy's ear looks right or anything like that just draw it and as soon as that happened it just became a lot easier yeah and I was able to get a lot of stuff mm. yeah I think there was a I mean the, the it's for, for me as a, as a reader there was a, like the the wave of comics kind of crashed in the 90s and everything became so glossy and clean and then there was this whole shift into um to later on there seemed to be like house styles like dc i think has a very um uh, apparent house style that, that i i find hard to get into and there's a couple of other books as well there's a couple of other publishers um but the, the i think you're right when you you said that it's um you know it's not the it's not the art it's how the art tells a story that is that, that engages that, that gets the reader involved and and i think a lot of that um for me as well comes from that i'm quite a lot quite a big fan of a lot of art outside of comics mm-hmm. you know like i'm probably obviously i'm a huge francis bacon fan mm. i'm a huge fan of abstract art there's a couple of there's a brilliant scottish artist um called charles avery mm-hmm. you look him up it's amazing he did an exhibition called the Islanders, mm. where he basically created an entire community in Scotland and did loads of sort of drawings of the people in it. And he, he made uh, models of the animals that had interbred there and stuff like that. Mm. And I walked around that and just was absolutely blown away. And again, you know, you could look at his stuff in, in terms of like a sort of fine art or a modern art sense. His stuff looked a bit cartoony, but it absolutely worked. Mm. You know what I mean? And I, and I think that was a bit of a revelation as well. And I think a lot of you know, people I know that are in comics and draw comics, they don't tend to look outside that much. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. They tend to like, I want to draw like Jim Lee, or I want to draw like Frank Quietly, or I want to do this. And the thing is, I don't know, I can't speak for Jim Lee, but I know with people like Frank Quietly, you know, he's looking, his stuff, all his influences have come from outside, or or like things like Ur Willie and the Bruins, the Scottish comic, mm-hmm. or um, <laughs> uh, who's the guy that did Lanark? Alistair Gray. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a big, big fan of him so i always say to people when they say you know what they're drawing i'm like don't just look at other comics you know what i mean because all you'll do is look like a an average version of somebody who's really good yeah you know look outside look at film look at art look at graphic design look at graffiti you know what i mean there's, there's so much more interesting influences out there if you just kind of look at them yeah yeah i think that's uh um you know that was a, that was a thing that really drew me to to comics back in the 70s and 80s was the even down to the character names, you got a sense that there was there was like an like this everything was referenced in epic literature or or mm-hmm. classical literature, or and the artwork was very you know a lot of it came from um, um, from like uh, fine art and uh, 
uh, advertising and that kind of world and graphic design. And it only became uh, kind of this interbred comic thing in the in the 90s where suddenly the people that were creating comics were people who had grown up reading just comics and looking at just comics. And, and it started to kind of... I don't know. It, for for me, it, it it felt like it was kind of bleeding into itself, and there was no, there was no. I don't know. It just felt a little off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. You you mentioned uh, David Lynch earlier, and um, and uh, uh, Dennis Potter as being influences for your for your storytelling. Is what what do you think it was that connected you with those? Uh, the third one I would say is Harold Pinter as well. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. The reason being, again, back to where I grew up and having nothing to do, <laughs> I spent a lot of time just sitting in the library and uh, and just reading anything I could, and probably stuff that somebody my age shouldn't really have been particularly reading. But I loved, I like I read, um, and I read a lot of Shakespeare and a lot of Har- Tom Stoppard as well. Mm-hmm. So I was very kind of a bit of a sort of pretentious wee kid without really having any avenue for pretension because of where I grew up that could get you serious trouble but um, I think with Dennis Potter um, and David Lynch I always had a kind of slightly weird perspective of the world maybe because I was quite a sort of solitary kid but I always saw a lot of weirdness and strangeness everywhere mm-hmm. and when I saw like when I was very young my parents were parents that didn't really care what I was watching not in a kind of you know not interested way but they just all saw it as TV and films they never saw it as like this will make him a serial killer or something mm-hmm. like that it was just basically it's on the TV what's the problem and I saw this thing in Detective really young and it just the kind of feeling of it the atmosphere of it I thought that's how my head works mm. you know that's he's doing what I'm thinking and I got really interested in stuff uh, especially um, things like Brimstone and Treacle I loved and then I love this thing in the Texas, but there was a film. I think have you seen it called Track Twenty Nine? Uh, yeah, it's it like, uh, Gary Dennis, and uh, Dennis Hopper and, and Gary Oldman, or is it? Oh, it's uh, Christopher Lloyd, isn't it? Uh, no, it's Christopher Lloyd. Yeah, it's, and it was directed by Nicholas Rogue. Mm-hmm, yeah, he was another person who I saw like walk about and stuff like young. Obviously, the Jenny Agar input, you know, thing was a yeah. big deal for our generation as well. <laughs> and uh, I just I loved his sensibility as well, and. Uh, so between these things, by the time David Lynch rolled up, I was I was ready for that. And mm-hmm. again, living in a small village where it was, if you drove through it, it was quite you know, nice looking, but underneath it, there was a lot of bad stuff going on. Mm. And then things like Twin Peaks and The Wicker Man and Blue Velvet and, and Stephen King's It was another mm-hmm. thing for me. And it was just all these things about, and I still to this day have that real weakness for a wee town where loads of bad stuff's going on under the, you know, mm. Under a rock, and uh, so yes, yeah, so all of that kind of and came together and stuff. And being a sort of fan of Monty Python, very young as well, because my dad was a big fan. So I definitely had a slightly surreal kind of sensibility about mm-hmm. things and stuff like that. So all those guys, you know, just spoke to me. In yeah. That way. Yeah. What did your parents do? Uh, my mum was housewife, and my dad was a civil servant, mm-hmm. but um, he wasn't particularly interested. I don't think and stuff like that. But they were my parents were a lot older. So um, my dad had fought in the war, for instance. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd been a, a prisoner of war. He uh, was on the. <laughs> my dad was on the initial bombing raid over Dresden. Oh wow! Uh, and his plane was shot out of the sky, and he had to parachute into Germany, Nazi-occupied Germany, hide out for a week before a farm 
hammered, uh, turned them into the Nazis, and he spent the rest of the war in a prisoner of war camp. And I didn't find out until I was a lot older. Mm. He spent all his time drawing cartoons. Mm. Oh wow! So because <laughs> so, he showed me them one day, he went, "Oh look at these! I drew these when I was in the camp." And I saw them, and I went, "Why did you never tell me you could?" <laughs> he was a really good artist. You know what I mean? He was a really good sort of cartoonist and stuff like that. So very strange, very strange that. Mm. Have you ever wanted to to tell his story in a comic or? No, I, no. His story was told that there was a book came out. Uh, a writer wrote a book about the history of a, a plane from its inception to its, you know, and my dad was a, a big chapter of that because mm. he'd been a navigator on it. So, no, nah, it's not, again, I, I've never been a big fan of war comics. And mm-hmm. I don't know whether it's because my dad was in the war, so I didn't really know where the entertainment value came from. Do you know what I mean? In terms yeah. of war comics and stuff like that. So, again, I haven't read any of them. <laughs> As I said before, it spares me sometimes in the fact that there's this whole thing of British comics that I have no knowledge about. Yeah. So, terrible. Going back to the idea of like this, the, the undercurrent of weirdness that exists in, in very normal places. Mm. And, and um, Do you think there is, I mean, I, I, I grew up in like uh, uh, council estates and, and, and places that were sort of surrounded by wealthier neighborhoods and there was always this sense of discomfort and unease that occurred in those well-to-do places it was kind of a weird that they, they always seemed to have the um uh the possibility of being weirder and more dangerous than the, the places i knew and yeah do you think that's just a, a generational thing for growing up in britain or do you think that like some people have that mindset wherever they are like a you know david lynch obviously has a way of, of portraying that in his stories and is do you think there is like an inherent weirdness in the world that some people see and shut off and some people see and think there's a story there yeah definitely and i, and I think i remember reading it was grant morrison said and the one thing he hates is when people say oh a uh, you know like something like eastenders mm-hmm. because oh that's real life and he went that's not real life <laughs> he went you know you know because it's true in real life people have met people who have seen ghosts or they've had psychic experiences mm-hmm. or you know things like that. People are a lot weirder than what the idea or TV's idea of, of normal. You know, I mean, it's like EastEnders, so their lives are just misery and you know cheating and things like that. Mm-hmm. But there's loads of strange stuff goes on. You know, what I mean, there's loads of sort of you know, and especially where I grew up. And um, so I grew up in the eighties in mm-hmm. a small mining village. And uh, there was a kind of, and you probably remember this, there was a thing called Care in the Community. Mm-hmm, yeah. And what that was, was they kind of tried to help people who are like have mental illness or whatever, and, or, you know, and they tried to integrate them into what they thought was small communities that would, you know, like protect them and stuff like that. But mm. obviously well, what would happen is they would put these put these people into the community and they would, their lives would be rubbish. Do you know what I mean? They would be constantly attacked and stuff like that. Yeah. But there were still weird characters about. Like when I was growing up, there was a character called the Ho Ho Man, mm-hmm. and you would always like you shouted Ho Ho at him, he would chase you shouting Ha Ha Ha. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. there's real life. Do you know what I mean? Everybody's probably got a story like that. You know, yeah. strange, strange people that were about and strangeness. But whenever I see real life on the TV, those people aren't in it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just the misery and the you know bleakness of real life. There's none of the kind of 
you know, strangeness. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, even where I grew up, there was a there was a man murdered around the corner from me because uh, the pitch shut down and obviously people got the redundancies and some guy was flashing his redundancy about and somebody beat him to death mm. around the corner where I grew up and somebody from my school found him and, you know, he grew up when he found him and he was plagued by nightmares after that, mm-hmm. seeing this man lying dead. And it's all stuff like that, you know, I mean, it never really gets, you know, whereas in EastEnders it would just be a man found dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's always the, the, the repercussions of that always interested me yeah mm, yeah we had a uh, there was a um there was actually there was two centers there was one that was a walk-in um like a convalescence place um which people came and go very very easily but there was an old victorian style um asylum that was kind of mm. set off from the, the, the well, immediately interested <laughs> yeah <laughs> this place was incredible it was like it was up on um gosh what was the it was two in common and it was off, up off of the the main part of the common, and I think there was maybe a running track nearby. Um, but this this huge old Victorian building, very gothic, off in the the distance, and you never saw anyone around there. And then they they demolished it when Care in the Community came in, and they built a housing estate. And um, for years, you would see these people that had obviously been in the the asylum that were just wandering around this this new estate looking completely lost and confused and and uh you know there was just this this kind of for me anyway there was this this gradual sense of like if we ignore them hard enough they'll vanish mm. and i really it really yeah. felt like you were seeing people just disappear it was such a weird weird uh feeling around there yeah absolutely one of the one project in me and fraser and um, hope he doesn't want to about it we've always We've always been fascinated being people that grew up in mining communities when the pits went as well, mm-hmm. because suddenly everything, I mean, the, the structure of these people's lives just went, because it was like, you left school, you went down the pits, that was your life. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly the pits weren't there, and there was nothing else to fill that void. Yeah. And people just went slowly, they just fell apart, really, you know, just because they had nothing to do. Yeah. And they would nowhere to go, and, you know... You know, nowadays it would be like, well, you can go and retrain or do another job. But there, was, there wasn't really that element to it. Mm-hmm. And we've always been fascinated by post-minor strike West Coast of Scotland. And we definitely, we've kind of talked about a kind of magic realism take mm. on that. Yeah. Quite similar to what you mentioned that, but people just slowly vanishing. And I really hope we do that one day because every time we come towards it, we kind of, you know, it's like, mm, that's not quite good enough. But of late we've been talking and some of the ideas are starting to kind of come together quite well, I think. That we may do that somewhere down the line. Hmm. But, um, same kind of thing, just fascinated by just lost souls. Yeah, you know I mean, it's, it's a really interesting sort of topic. Yeah, yeah. On the on the things like um, like East Enders or those like the, you know the, the kind of soap opera and real life stories, it's always the the people that aren't there that are the more interesting ones. There's always this. Hmm. Mm. Um, what uh, you, you mentioned that with Fraser as a, as a possible uh, project, and you you just uh, finished the edge off with him, mm-hmm. um, and that was a pretty successful Kickstarter campaign. I think yeah. it was three hundred, three hundred and fifty, or was it more than three hundred and fifty? Three hundred eighty-two. Wow! Came in out there. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, there's a big jump. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, uh, genuinely surprised because um, I think when you read it, you'll understand why I'm surprised. Why I was surprised. Hmm. It did so well because it's 
it's a very strange comic and maybe stranger than people are anticipating. <laughs> uh, well, maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know because it's me. But uh, one of the great things about that was it's the most perfect fusion of everything Fraser's interested in and everything I'm interested in in mm-hmm. the comic. Um, and you'll see when, when you read it that it's very much a 50-50 split of that, mm. that kind of strangeness. But yeah, I was I did not expect the success it's had at all, mm-hmm. to be honest. But um, having the Frank Quietly and the Gary Brown covers did help, you know, to be <laughs> honest about that. But, um, but yeah, and no, I hope people like it. And I've, a few people that have read it have, you know, been quite, you know, quite a lot of praise for it. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope people like it. You know, I think I think you will. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. I'm, I've never known because you know after after we did Emily, mm-hmm. uh, the whole Emily team got together with a and did a comic called Quilt. Mm-hmm. If you ever read it, but mm-hmm. it just did not click with people at all. It just did not work at all. I don't know what you know. I mean, it was one of these things. It was what coming off Emily. It had been really successful, and then could not really give that away. You know what I mean, I don't know what happened. So you can never tell with these things at all. So mm. any successes are a nice surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have you got coming up? Is there anything else? Ooh, well, I've got <laughs> all the commissions I have to do for the Kickstarter. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be, <laughs> that's the one thing I never really factored in. You know what I mean? It was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do commissions. Yeah, if they buy a book, I'll do a commission. And it was like, yeah, you've got 10 of them to do now. And it's like, all oh, right. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, um, do them. I never really try and plan that much i think after emily there was a few kind of you know potential things mm-hmm. that would happen um i uh had a really interesting pitch i was doing with steve orlando mm-hmm. steve that does um supergirl and justice league of america and a really interesting pitch that never really got picked up anywhere so i kind of try now not to get you know i try not to think too far in advance if someone comes along and it's interesting then mm-hmm. i'm open to it but I, I don't go chasing things, and there's always a few wee things bubbling away in the background. Yeah. Um, even if like there's nothing going on, then I'm a big go back and I did a I did a comic years ago called Horror Mountain. Mm-hmm. I did I send you that? Yeah, uh, I got it. Yeah, I remember. I, I think that's how I first heard of you. In fact, I can't remember who. Someone someone put it on Twitter, I think, and I, I was like, "Oh, this looks good." So it was actually because um, I did it. And uh, it was a friend of mine called Gavin who lives in Seattle, uh-huh. and he worked for Graphics at the time. And he said, Let, "Let's let's put this together as a wee sort of fanzine, and I'll just sell it at cons and stuff like that." And then I was like, "Fine, that was okay." And you know, I thought it's too weird for anybody to care about or anything like that. But it, it, it picked up a lot of traction, and um, that's how I met John Lee's. That's mm-hmm. how I met Nick Pitara. That's how all of that came really that that wee comic going about and it was only like a wee sort of fanzine thing black and white fanzine mm-hmm. there was nothing so notable but it definitely got out there and, and uh, I always think about doing a sequel to that that's one thing that always kind of is buzzing away in the back of my brain mm-hmm. I'll go back and, and revisit some of those kind of ideas and stuff like that and see if there's anything else there and I've always got things that I think oh I'll do my own graphic novel and stuff like that so I'm always kind of thinking of wee ideas but I never try and you know, I don't really have anything lined up, you know, in, in terms of this is what I have to do next. Mm-hmm. If things come up and they're interesting, then I take it that way. Yeah. And if people want to find your stuff online, where's the best place to go? Hey, I always recommend Instagram. Uh-huh. Um, I'm just Mr. Ian Laurie. I don't know why the Mr.'s there. There must have been another Ian Laurie, but everyone's Mr. Ian Laurie somewhere. But, um, uh, yeah, that's Instagram's the place I tend to put. Uh, I find that 
Instagram is quite receptive, whereas in Twitter or Facebook, things just get, you know, missed. You, know, mm-hmm. you can put up a, a drawing on Instagram and like 50 people like it, and you can put it up on Twitter and four people do, do you know what I mean? And I think that's just the nature of Twitter, that people are scrolling past things yeah. a lot. So Instagram's definitely the place I would recommend checking out. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Ian. My absolute pleasure, Jamie. Lovely to speak to you finally. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am.